0: on the same page as the carol that we're going to speak about tonight, Hark the to Herald Angels Sing, which is on page three. So we'll, we'll sing that um, second, but for our first carol, we'll sing this one here written by John Francis Wade, um, O Come, All Ye Faithful. The first verse says, O come, all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. J- come, and behold him, born the King of Angels. And then the chorus says, O come, let us adore him. The second verse might be of interest to some. We're not going to speak on this one this week. But if you're familiar with creeds, um, there's a famous creed called the Nicene Creed. And actually this second stanza, or second verse, is uh, draws a lot of its um, words from that creed. So you can go home and look at that. It's a very interesting um, connection in this Christmas carol. The second verse says, God from true God, and light from light eternal, born of a virgin, to earth he comes, only begotten Son of God the Father. So we'll sing O Come, All Ye Faithful. We'll do all four verses uh, with the chorus, uh, and then after that we'll sing Heart to Herald Angels Sing.
1: O come, holy."
0: Christmas Carol, written by Charles Wesley and improved slightly by George Whitfield. We'll talk about that a little bit this evening. Heart, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful, all ye nations rise, join the triumphs of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. As you uh, sing them, you can think uh, how many times your mind is reminded of a verse. Maybe unlike any other Christmas carol, um, you can barely make it through a stanza without being reminded of one, two, sometimes even three verses that had to have been in the mind of Mr. Wesley as he wrote this um, incredible Christmas carol here that we're going to speak upon this evening. So we'll sing this whole one together, Hark the Herald Angels Sing.
1: Hark the hair.
0: of Christmas carols here um, for this season here, of uh, Christmas time uh, in, in this year. So, thankful for you being out tonight. Before we uh, speak uh, and read from the scriptures, we'll ask for God's blessing on the meeting and we'll pray. Our Father, we give thanks once again for our Savior and your Son. We're thankful, Lord, uh, that the, the message was entrusted to so many on that night long ago. Angels brought a message, shepherds related. We think how some even stored it within their hearts for a later time and wish to share it with others. Uh, but regardless, we think of how incredible the message has been entrusted to others, a message that depends completely on the one who has authored it, the God of heaven. And so we pray, Lord, tonight that we would speak faithfully in the gospel. Uh, that concerns uh, the most important and the most critical things of this life, of how someone can know their God, and to know not only their God, but peace, peace with you, and to know reconciliation, forgiveness, and to know it now. We think how often, Lord, we are tended to speak about these things as to fear of what we avoid. But we pray, Lord, that even throughout this week, we might be able to impress upon our listeners that there should be no delay with salvation for the incredible amount of wealth and riches that we inherit <coughs> and the great things that come with salvation for this life to make it so meaningful. Um, we pray, Lord, for help to do this and to once again be able to draw uh, truth from this Christmas carol. Even <coughs> This we ask in your Son's name, Lord Jesus. Amen. And we've read the verses that we're going to read tonight already this week, but they are what gave rise to this Christmas carol, Heart to Herald Angels Sing. So we're going to read them again. They're in Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. Luke 2 and verse 8. In case anybody's wondering, we're, we're going to speak. Obviously, I'm heartily her to sing. At the end of tonight's meeting, if you want to anticipate, we're going to sing "Joy to the World" uh, for tomorrow night's uh, meeting on that carol. Luke chapter two, and we'll read here at verse eight, and it says this: "And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night." And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. It's great three parts to remember there. Good news, great joy, all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly, this is where I think Mr. Wesley drew some of his inspiration, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God and the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. I God will have a blessing in the reading of his word. Heart day the Angel Sing is one of Charles Wesley's uh, greatest hymns that he wrote. I don't know if we have any people who have written hymns here. I'm sure there's probably one or two. Maybe you've never shared it with anybody. But actually, if you look, if you took some time and looked in the past, we're in 2022. You just look in the past 22 years. Just take it, stay in this century. And say, I wonder how many new hymns have been written. You say, every once in a while, I know I went to Carnegie Hall last winter and I heard uh, two Bible-believing Christians who had written a handful uh, in the past 20 years. That's a big deal. Five. Five hymns. And then uh, sometimes I look in the back of the Believer's Hymn Book and I go, when was the last one written in here? And it's like 1883, you know, and you're like, wow, it's been a long time since anybody's contributed to this one. Um, actually the New Believer's Hymn Book I think has has one from, from this century, I think it's from 2006 or something, so, so it's good, but, but, but hymns seem to have come in clusters, and then they, they they seem to have gotten fewer, and there's a lot of great hymn writers, you always like to look on the Hall of Fame of hymn writers, and you got, you got some of these guys, and they did five, and you have other ones, John Nelson Darby, he maybe had 11 or 12, and William Kelly, he had a lot of Sunday school children's hymns, and uh, Fanny Crosby, man, she she really pulled it together, and, and, and here she was able to come up with, with quite a few, 30, 40, showed a lot of them in New Jersey, and you get to Isaac Watts, and here he is, a behemoth of a hymn writer. He wrote 700. We're going to talk about him tomorrow. you say, wow, wow, who could get past Isaac Watts? And then you have Charles Wesley, who after he got saved in the year 1839, at the ripe old age of probably 31, I think he was, when he got saved, from then, for the next 49 years until he died, he wrote one hymn, every two and a half days and wrote around 7,000. You say, what else did he do? Did he have time to eat? What else did the man do? You say, that's incredible. Every two and a half days, I can barely do anything every two and a half days, but, but here's the man who, who, at this point in our meetings, we would have two more hymns to talk about. We could extend the meetings Saturday and Sunday, because Mr. Wesley, from Sunday until now, would have written two more. And he did that every day for his entire life. It shows you how much this meant to him. A lot of people have said that if, if you want to win the hearts of a people, don't give them words. Take control of their songs. And so that's still true. Mr. Wesley, we are indebted to him because he gave us this incredible uh, array of hymns that all focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, all focused on Scripture. A little history about Mr. Wesley. Some of you come from big families. Some of you come from small families. And coming from a big family is nice because it makes you immediately, by default, insignificant. You don't have a problem with humility when you come from a a family of five, as some would attest to here. And if you were an only child, that meant you were, like our hymn says here, an angel, right? You know? And the only way to know you're not an angel is to grow up in a family where there were more than two. (laughs) Mr. Wesley was one of 19 children. Nineteen children. You say, "Wow!" He said, "If anything, humility was his as a as something from the beginning." One of nineteen children born over there in England, and uh, as he was growing up, you know, his his father, who's a minister, wanted him to to go to school to go into the ministry. It ended up being that he had a brother who was famous too, Mr. Wesley uh, John, and he ended up taking over his father's church. But, but, but Mr. Wesley, um, as he grew older, there's some significant things in his life that we're going to talk about tonight that, that give rise to this great carol. Because out of his 7,000, I said 7,000. Let me just make a stipulation. There are some people who thought he wrote 9,000. Right? And then, so you know, you always got to take the the low and the high end of it. Because, you know, when I'm dead and gone, some people will say he did 10 children's meetings and some people will say he did 100. So just take the average, right? Somewhere in the middle. Well, Mr. Wesley had said he either did 6,600 or he did 9,000. So I just took the average and actually went low. But if he did 9,000, he wrote a lot of hymns. But you think of this man, what gave rise to that? Because he, he had a lot going on in his life when he was in college. He actually formed a little club, and a lot of people called them the holy rulers, or they were the holy men, because they wanted to live by this book. They wanted to obey what was in it. But surprisingly enough, him and his brother and some other men who were part of this holy club, they weren't saved. So you know, it shows you something. that sometimes people say, I want to obey what's in here, but yet, no, they don't have power to do it because they don't have they don't have salvation. It's hard. It's hard to obey what's here if you don't have true salvation. And Mr. Wesley, he would say later on in his life, he would say I never really saw what was really there until years later. But as he grew older, And in his life, a lot of the things that come out here are significant. I think one thing Mr. Wesley, he often reflected on was very interesting. When he was 13, and back then you went to school a lot younger. When he was 13, there was a very wealthy Irish man who wanted to adopt him. And was going to pay a large sum of money to take him and to put him through school. at one in nineteen, you can imagine his parents were like, "Hey, you know, it's one less mouth to feed, you know." And 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 and, and uh, would he really be missed? You know, we would at night we would go through the roll call, and if we got it, but they looked to it. And you know what, Mr. Charles, Charles Wesley, at thirteen, it was his decision. He said, "No, no, I don't, I don't. I'm I'm content in this situation, where I'm at, going through life." It's very fascinating that the person that that man adopted went on to be um, an earl, which I know that doesn't mean to you in here, but an earl was, a, was like a, one of the richest men in England, and he ended up being actually the grandfather of the Duke of Wellington. You can go home and look at that, but that's a very significant... It'd be like, it'd be like someone coming and, and wanting to switch places with you, And finding out later that the person who switched places with you ended up being a multi-multi-millionaire with thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of land. And you said, oh, what I could have had, if only I had said yes. But you know, Mr. Wesley never regretted it. Because it's one thing to have a million dollars and a million acres. And it's another thing to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And obviously he chose correctly. So Mr. Wesley, a lot of decisions early in his life, and a lot of things that, that, that come up in his life that he had to make a decision on, but nothing more important than, at the age of 31, he decides to get on a boat and to leave England and to go to the New World. And of all places to go, you think, oh, so many options, Maine, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New Amsterdam, right? You could go to New York. He could go to Virginia. He decides to go to Georgia. Georgia, that's not. And I actually visited where he went. I saw his house down in Savannah, Georgia, where the Wesley brothers went. They went with a guy named Oglethorpe. You can look him up. He was a, he was a very instrumental uh, person in the development of the colonies. And they went down there to Georgia, uh, to Savannah, and they tried to, they tried to convert people. But Mr. Wesley would say later, he goes, I was trying to convert people. I wasn't converted. I was trying to to get them to heaven, and here I was going to hell. And yet Mr. Wesley, as he spent all his time there, just got frustrated, and he goes, I'm going back home. And as he went back home on the voyage across the Atlantic, on that boat with him were these men. They were called the Moravian Brothers. And you say, that's quite a title. Well Moravia would be current day Czechoslovakia. But these men were, were Bible believers. And they were on this boat. And you know what impressed Mr. Wesley? It's how they sung. He goes, they sang. Back then, when you heard people sing, it was really, it was really rough. We're going to talk about that tomorrow night. It was kind of like morbid and the tunes were. When he heard these men sing, he goes, it was like it had life to it. It, had, it really meant something to them when they sung. And he was talking to these men, he you know what they told him? They said, they said listen, listen, Charles. They said, someone could only be saved. They can't be saved through what they know, and they can't be saved through what they do. They can only be saved through faith, and it has to come by grace. And they told him the gospel from Ephesians 2 and 8. You know, Charles went back to England, and actually, of all the Christmas carols that we're going to go through here, he is the only man that I know of, of which... Even when you go online, it gives you a day that he got saved, which, take it or leave it, is remarkable. And it was on May 21st, 1738, that Charles Wesley realized that with all that he knew and all the holiness he was going after, that it wasn't until that day that he went from being lost to being found, that he went from, from going to hell to going to heaven. I think that's unbelievable. You know. I always remind myself sometimes in some of my Bibles, I never, I never put the date in my Bible, although I have a day, too, when I got saved. November twenty second, 1998. I think, oh, I, I have a day that I go back to. But you know, if I forget the date, I'm still saved, because my salvation doesn't depend on the day. It actually depends on the Word of God. And so it's a wonderful thing that Charles got saved And that he had a day, and he was going, it was within one year, he was born a week before Christmas, so Christmas always had a big deal to him. But one year from then, he wrote this famous Christmas carol, Hark, the Herald Angels Sing. And as you read through it, just like all his other 7,000 hymns and other songs, they used to say about John Bunyan, if you read the Pilgrim's Progress, they said, they said, if you If you prick John Bunyan, he would bleed biblically, Bible. Because when you read Pilgrim's Progress, Scripture's everywhere. You can't go through a page of it and not have some verse, have some, some, some allusion to the Scriptures come out. The same thing with Charles Wesley. When you sing his hymns, you're singing verses. You're singing chapters. You're singing things from the Bible. And it's amazing to think that the reason he took up his pen to write down verse was so that you would be able to know verses from the Scripture. And so that's why it's a remarkable thing this night to talk about Park, the Herald Angels Sing. I want to talk this evening about some of the things that are said here in this Christmas carol. Let's talk about four words that are said um, I, I, I want to do that because uh there are words here you say, I think I know what they mean, but maybe you don't. And the reason I want to do that is just because Charles Wesley was quite a linguist. Um, he also wrote the hymn, Over oh, a Thousand Tongues to Sing, my great Redeemer's Praise. A thousand tongues. And sometimes it seems like Charles was searching for all kinds of words from everywhere, right? Like he had a thousand tongues. Um And it was after he got saved that he also wrote that hymn, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Die he for me, who caused his pain, for me to him who death pursued. And sometimes his words we understand. And sometimes, Charles, maybe he should have consulted the thesaurus again. Well, in this hymn, or this carol that we're going to talk about tonight, there were other men who came along and said, I don't know about that, that word. And they took one word out, and they put another one in. Well, I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to talk about some of the words that are mentioned here as we go through it. The reason I want to do that is because originally, after Charles wrote this hymn, you would have gotten up on any given Sunday for, for a long time, uh, maybe for close to, I don't know, 20 years before George Whitfield got his hands on this, and you would have sung, Hark, the Herald, Angels, Welcome." Glory to the King of Kings, and you would have said, "Welkin, who's who's Welkin? Is that welcome Did he mean? No, Welkin, Welkin." And you, everyone, you would have been one of those kids, and not know. I don't know. I don't know. Heart, the herald angel, welcome," and you and you would have said, "No, this." That's not right. And so George Whitfield got this hymn and he took it out and he kind of re, re, restructured it because welcome kind of meant the, the vaulted heavens. It meant the skies above. But only one in 4,000 people knew what it meant. So so good, good thing that George Whitfield, the famous gospel preacher, he took this, this chorus, he took this carol, and he said, Hey, it's much easier to hark the herald angels sing. But you know, even that. When we read our verse tonight, it never says they sang. But you can imagine, it would be very hard to sing Hark the Herald Angels Mentioned, right? Or Hark the Herald Angels Whispered. No, it, it, it's nice to think that they sang. And church history has told us for so long that they sang. And so that's what Mr. Whitfield changed when he when he altered this hymn slightly. That's why his name is included there um, as part of the co-writers along with some of the things. So I want to look at some of your words here. Let's just
1: take a look at what we could learn from them. That first word that we are introduced to in this Christmas
0: carol is just that hark. Hark. And if I asked you, what does hark mean? I'm, I'm sure everyone here is pretty educated, and I think we would probably get 9 out of 10. But just in case no one recognizes, it means to listen. To listen. And if you are anywhere around the age of 10, that's probably all that you ever get asked is "Are you listening?" And you always say "Yes." Yes, of course, right? You know, that's that's all that's all was ever said. People, my wife still says that to me. And I feel so ashamed sometimes because I'm preparing for meeting tonight. Are you listening? Yep. yep. You know, it was Desmond was eating carpet before, you know, on the ground. No, oh, hey, oh, hey. and so you know, "Are you listening?" is a is a, is a tremendous question to ask, but here. The Charles, as he introduces us to this carol, he says, listen. Listen to what the angels are saying. Listen to the, the, the carol as a whole. And not only that, listen, and as I've asked you to when we sang it, listen for scripture. Listen for what he has to say. He's going to quote to us Luke 2 about the angels proclaiming the birth of Christ that a, a Savior was born. Hark! Listen! He's going to talk to us about God being pleased to dwell with us. He's going to mention John chapter 1. Listen. To listen to what is being said. He's going to talk about the Son of Righteousness. The Son of Righteousness coming up. Listening from Malachi 4 and verse 2. Listening. He's going to talk about reconciliation. God and man. God and sinners. reconciled. You're listening. 2 Corinthians 5. Listening. Listening. Just listening. For what the scriptures say because no one can say that they have heard the bible unless they can tell you not what the bible means to them but what the bible means and so as we listen to this carol and as we hear all the scriptures that are going through it we have to we have to step back and realize here is a man who wanted you to hear what the angel said sometimes we forget Mary and Joseph weren't there when the angels were singing. They had to listen to the shepherds. They had to pay attention to what they said. And, and, and here was all the information was going to come to them. See, why is listening so important? Because the Lord Jesus said, he said there were two men. One built a house on a rock and one built, built a man by the beach. The one house collapsed and the other house survived. And he said, this is a picture of how people listen. He told a parable and he said, people go out and they throw seed. Some throw it on a highway. Some throw it in the desert. Some throw it and there's no sun there. He said, and some throw it in a garden. And he said, just take note of this because this is a picture of how people listen. The Bible begins by asking us to listen. The Bible ends by pleading with us just to listen to what the Lord Jesus has to say, to listen. And the Lord Jesus himself said this, that his words were worth listening to. If any man hears my voice and believes on him who sent me, he will have everlasting life. So to listen. To listen, and, and not just to listen for the, sometimes I always say to colleagues, how did it go? I said, well, they listened during the stories, you know, because you can always tell when a story's coming. Even my voice might change, because maybe I sound more interesting. But and listening, and you say, why would I listen? Because one day, only things that are going to go through your mind are what you heard. What you heard. You're you're going to give an account one day for what you listened to and what you did with that. And that should either, that should make us thrilled or it should scare us beyond anything else. That I'm going to have to answer to God for what I heard and what I did with it. You know, there are people tonight, of all the messages that we, we, we've we spoken here, and they can listen to them if they want online, they can hear it. But, but, but think of all the groups, maybe your friends, and, and maybe neighbors who would come through that door, and I could tell them something tonight from this Bible, and they would say, that's unbelievable, I've never known that before. I could tell them that, hey, did you know that the gospel is for all people? I never knew that, I never knew that. And I could tell them, did you know that Christ died for all your sins? And you might have a friend or a neighbor who lives on your street. They would come in and sit in the fourth row back. And they would say, no one's ever told me that before. It's the first time I've heard this. And I would say to them, do you realize if you don't die with your sins forgiven, you will not be in heaven. But the Bible says you will be in a place called hell. They would say, I never knew that. I never heard that before. But you have heard it a hundred times, a thousand times. You've heard it maybe a couple thousand times. And I ask you, on behalf of everyone who's never heard it, are you listening? Because our verse and our carol, it starts with just that. Heart. Listen. Listen. Listen to what's being said. Listen to the angels. Listen to the shepherds. Listen to God. Listen to his son. Listen because your life depends on it. Listen because your eternity depends on it. Listen because here are the words of eternal life. Not only "Hark," but this next word that's in our our carol here it says here, "God and sinners reconciled, reconciled." I thought "reconciled." What a great word—a word that's used in Scripture, but. Maybe nowhere like it is in 2 Corinthians 5, maybe we'll touch on that, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Not counting their sins against them, but instead, here was one who wasn't going to count their sins, but was going to count his son as a a substitute. God reconciling the world. When I thought of this, I thought of really one of the the great points about heart and Harold Angels sing when Mr. Wesley wrote this in 1739, 1740, he wrote this hymn, and obviously, as I told you, someone changed the word, so he was probably a little bothered by that. And then it was over a hundred years later. For a hundred years, people have been singing this. You ever sing a you ever sing a hymn, and you're like, that hymn would be great if someone could just come up with a different tune, right? You know they're... There are some tunes that just kind of... Even Jim tonight was bouncing his leg, right, with Hart and Angels Angel Just there. Are, not every hymn does that to you. Some hymns, you're like, I can't wait for this to be over. You look down, and it's verse 4 out of 10. This just, it drags on, right? And a lot of hymns that, not a lot that Mr. Wesley wrote, but a lot of them, he wanted them to have a very somber, a very somber tune. And so "Hark! and Earl Angels sing. Actually, if you were to sing it in its first 100 years, would have been much less vibrant, much less maybe <clears throat> joyful. It would have been actually hard to imagine the angels and the joyful and the triumphant. It would have been, uh, oh, was a the
1: heralds
0: glory to And you would have thought, oh, I just didn't have that. But that's the way Mr. Wesley wanted it. He, he just he said, I, I want it to be somber. He says, I do
1: not want this to turn into something that's going to be sung outside of the church. Well, a hundred years later, there was a very famous composer.
0: His name was Felix Mendelssohn. Felix Mendelssohn was actually the grandson uh, of another Mendelssohn who was, I think, a rabbi. So he had Jewish heritage, but he had also come to trust in Jesus Christ. And he was writing and composing different tunes. And he wrote this tune, and actually he wrote it because if you're familiar with the Gutenberg Press... It was the 400th anniversary of the Gutenberg Press, and Mr. Mendelssohn wanted to commemorate it, so he, he wrote this, he called it a festive tune. It was actually called Feschgott. I don't know what language that's in, but that's what he called it, and it was supposed to be just festive, as is the tune. And he made this, he said this, he goes, listen, this tune of mine, he goes, make sure no man ever connects it with anything sacred. And that was kind of like his dying request. So here you have Mr. Wesley, slow and somber. And then you have Mr. Mendelssohn, nothing sacred. And of course, both to much of their chagrin, we have a man who comes in, Charles... I think I have his last name, was Cristiano. And he comes in, and it's over 100 years later, and he takes the two things, one man who wanted slow and somber, one man who wanted nothing sacred, and he said, let's just have a carol that can be sung. And he brought these two things together, Mendelssohn's tune, the festive tune, and Wesley's words, the words of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and that is what produced the, one of the greatest works of all 9,000, 6,000, 7,000, whatever you want to call it, of Mr. Wesley's hymns or, or carols. And I thought, how fantastic that, that one man didn't want it, and the other man didn't want it either, but they both died. And there was another man who said, this is going to work perfect. This is going and, and he reconciled the two men's works and brought them together there in order to have something great, something fantastic, something that all of us can cherish and sing and have done so for the next 170 years. And I thought, that's kind of a picture of what the gospel is not. Is not. Sometimes we think that, that we have been reconciled, or we could be reconciled to God, but he it's just not something that, that is, is completely... Uh, you say it's something he wants. Does he really want that? Does he really want me back? And, and and to what extent would he come to get me? And do I want to be reconciled back to him? Sometimes we look at our lives and we wonder how much would I have to lose to be reconciled to God? Is it really worth it? Something that I really want? And does does the God of Heaven really want to see me brought back to Him? And there's this there's this angst. There's this struggle and reconciliation until you come to the Bible. And in the Bible, in that great chapter of 2 Corinthians 5 that talks about reconciliation, it must mention it uh, a half dozen times, about being reconciled to God, about the ministry of reconciliation. And the last verse in that chapter tells us how it's possible to reconcile two things that are actually more opposite Then the words of Hark to Herald Angels Sing in Mr. Mendelssohn's tune, they're they're so much more opposite. What did we have in common with God? It wasn't like we were good words and he was going to provide a good tune, that, that, that we just needed a little help and he could provide the last 1%, or that we just needed a little push and he could give it to us. No, no, the Bible tells us there in words so succinct that God made his son to be sin for us. And his son knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Here it is in simple terms. The next time that you see a cross, or the next time that you think of Calvary, when you think of everything that they did to Jesus Christ from 9 o'clock until 3 o'clock, everything that they did to him in those six hours, that was God treating his son like he were me. God treated his son like it was me. So if you want to know what your sin deserved, you look at the cross. Because there was a man on that cross who was treated like he were me. Why? So that if you believe the gospel, God could treat you like you're his son. That's it. That's reconciliation. God's not looking for you to come a little bit and for him to come the rest. We talked about this last night in No Man's Land. God did everything. He came the whole way. He took care of your sin when he placed them on his son. To be reconciled is is not something that goes against the wishes of anyone. When we talked about the, the carol tonight, neither one of those men wanted what they had done to be brought together with the other. And so tonight... Maybe the saddest part of any gospel meeting is just this. There has never been a time in my life, and I've been speaking the gospel in the Brookfield Gospel Hall for almost 20 years this year, there has never been a single time where I've got up here and was not absolutely convinced, beyond 100 or 1,000%, that God wanted you to be saved. But there have been many times where I've realized that the people that you're speaking to don't. So this evening, you have to ask yourself, what is it that stops me from wanting what God wants? What is it that stops me from wanting God's Son? What is it that stops me from being satisfied with what God is satisfied with? What is it that stops me from listening, from harking to what God has said? Hark, reconciled. This, one of these last words, born. Born. This is in our last verse here. It says born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark! The herald angels sing. Glory to the new born king. I think of one of the difficult lines here in Mr. Wesley's things is he says in one of his previous verse number two he said late in time Late in time, behold him come, and, and that's another difficult phrase, but what he was mentioning there was a, a truth that we find in Hebrews 1, that God finally spoke. God finally spoke at the end of time, at the end of the ages. He made himself known, and he spoke in a language that was understood by everyone on planet Earth. He spoke in a language, and that language is called his son late in time. It was at the end of this time. And that language spoken that we read of here began with a birth and it ended with a death. And what a language to to understand tonight because the last few lines there, I love how each one starts with born. But maybe if you had not ever heard about being born again, this would be confusing to take in. He says, born that man no more may die. And you say, that's not true. That's not true. People still die. And you're reminded of the truth of Romans 6 and 23, that the reason that Jesus Christ was born, the reason that he went through his life in order to go to the cross, was so that the truth that we learn there, the wages of sin is death that we don't have to look forward to the paycheck. We can look forward to the gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It takes away the whole sting of death. I, 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 I've been at funerals of people who were 92 and people who were one year old. And you know what? It's hard. It never gets easy. There's always tears. There's always disappointment. There's always sorrow. There's always, there's always something that says this is not the way he wanted it to be this life ending this way and it's true but you know what rarely do i ever stand at a tomb where i know that that was that person's last stop how how nice to know that that the last stop for me is not going to be in a tomb born that man no more may die that's not what i have to look forward to it's something so much greater he says born to raise the sons of earth, born to know that that there's something I look forward to that is almost incomprehensible, that rise again, to to resurrect, that that I know that death is not the, the last stop, but resurrection. And he says here, born to give them second birth. How fantastic to know that my first birthday, August 20th, 1983, has prepared me for the last 39 years in this world and and how wonderful to think that there was a day in which i came into this world and i had everything i needed at that point i just had to to grow to mature to develop for the next 39 years and things have been good but on november 22nd 1998 i had a birth that prepared me for the world to come how fantastic How great to know that that, that, that my my hope of being in heaven one day, I don't have to depend on on what happened when I was born the first time, but I know that there's a, a, a new life, a new birth to be born from above, not below, and to be born for that life, not for this one. It's a tremendous possession to have. It's one of those things the Lord Jesus says you must have. You must have the second birth. You must be born again. And so here in this carol, I love the way Charles ends it once again, born to give them second birth. Nothing else would do. And so as we looked at this carol, as we look at all the things that could be said, um, I think once again it's remarkable when we look at his life, the fact that he was a man who, who thought he was going to heaven and then found out he wasn't. He was a man who, who longed to write hymns about the Lord Jesus Christ. But he was a man who was given to this, that the Bible meant everything to him. The Son of God meant everything to him. And in no ways was he ashamed to bring that up. And so as we look at this, uh, this carol, and as we have sung it, and as you may sing it again, be reminded of this. There's a lot of carols that tell us that the angels sang. And I'm sure there are some people here who want to argue about whether they sang or But there's not a lot of carols that invite us to sing with them. This is one of the only ones that invites us to sing along with the angels. To sing along with them. The the cosmic chorus that is written down here. I thought tonight, it's fitting, maybe a fitting way to end our meeting here tonight, is that it's one thing to hear. To always be hearing about the gospel. To always be hearing about what is said. To always always to be hearing about things like that. And yet another thing to join in. We often sing that, that song sometimes in the meeting, we're traveling home to heaven above. Will you go? And even here, this Christmas carol, I think John Wesley knew what he was saying when he asked us if we would join in and sing with the angels these immortal eternal words that Christ the Savior is born. But more than that, that Christ the Savior died. And then he died for you. We'll close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we give thanks once again for your Son and for our Savior. We are very grateful this evening to be able to once again tell him as we know him, our Redeemer, who has brightened all our days. We think of all these incredible lines that have come from uh, the pen of this man, Mr. Wesley. We think of uh, how he could write so long ago about gaining an interest in the Savior, And we know this evening that this does not come through human merit, but it comes through the grace of God. And so we ask, Lord, that your grace would be multiplied this evening towards us and towards our audience. That there would be one more soul here tonight who would gain an interest in the Savior's blood, the one who died for them. We ask to bring us home safely. And Lord willing, we ask that we would be spared to have another night tomorrow in which to declare the gospel message. This we ask. In your Son's name, the Lord Jesus. Amen. For tomorrow night, we are going to sing a carol on the next page. Joy to the World. This is written by very famous hymn writer, Isaac Watts. As I mentioned in the opening, he wrote um, also a prolific number of hymns. And uh, tomorrow night we'll address uh, when and how and why he wrote Joy to the world. So we'll sing this whole carol together. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. We'll sing all four stanzas of joy to the world.
1: Joy to the world.